0: Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I'm Pastor Mark, and Pastor Zach will be joining me in just a few moments virtually, along with another minister named Paul Vanderclay. Paul is a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church of Living Stones CRC in Sacramento, California, not too far down the road from us. And uh, we wanted to sit down with Paul to get his understanding of some of the goings-on in the Christian Reformed Church but also to talk about his YouTube channel. Uh, Paul is a very popular YouTuber with more than 20,000 subscribers. And so um, we hope that you enjoy the conversation that we had with Paul. And um, again, it would be great if you could like, share, and subscribe to the podcast in whichever form you listen to it. And we hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Hi, this is Paul, and what we're doing today is something a little different. My friends here, Mark and Zach, have their own podcast, and so we're going to kind of try to hit two birds with one stone. We have something (laughs) for my channel and something for their channel, and Mark can edit video and audio, and so he can have a different introduction if he wants to, however it goes, but um, (laughs) we, we talked about doing this and and i thought well let's have uh, mark and zach introduce themselves this this is sort of nice for my channel because it'll give you a little bit of window into the christian Reformed church christian Reformed church in northern california and um this other side of me that you all don't see so much because you're looking at me through a youtube lens so uh, who wants to go first
2: um i guess i can start uh, I am Zach Dewey. I'm the associate pastor here at Almond Valley, or Almond Valley, as anybody outside of our town would say. Uh, and yeah, as, as Paul said, it's a Christian Reformed church. I've been here since 2017. I am sort of the outsider in this conversation. I, If you listen to our podcast, you know that I'm not from the CRC. This is my first post in the CRC. Um, I'm sort of a An ecclesiological mutt, I guess you could say, and it was in my college years that I sort of read my way into Reformed theology. Went to Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and came here straight after that. I'm from the Central Valley, but not from Ripon. I am now married to my beautiful wife Bailey. We do not have kids. People always ask. Uh, We've been married since 2020. We were one of those COVID weddings that. Uh, we had Mark did our wedding, and we had Bailey's two parents, and that was it. That was our wedding, and we got married on March twentieth, twenty twenty. So it was right in the middle of the mayhem. Wow. Um, Yeah, our wedding was supposed to be in April, the next month, but we just decided essentially to elope and just get married the next day. We realized we weren't going to be able to have any of our guests, and so we just got married.
1: All right. Uh, Were you raised in the question? Were you raised in a Christian family or did you come to Christ later in life?
2: I did. I was or yeah, I was raised in a Christian family, sorry. Um, and so yeah, I was born in a my parents were both they had left more liturgical traditions. My dad sort of in Methodist and Presbyterian churches as a kid. My mom was in the LCMS, the Lutheran church. Uh, and they were not really fans of the liturgical thing, and so they Uh, in their adulthood began attending Bible churches or Baptist churches and so I was raised in a Baptist church and then in my high school years I switched my parents let me leave as soon as I could drive and so I went to uh, what was it was formerly United Methodist Church that had become non denominational in the late 90s by the time I started attending it was about 2006 or so And so they are still non-denominational. That is
1: Kingsburg Community Church. Um, Did you grow up in Kingsburg?
2: I did grow up in Kingsburg. Kingsburg is home. Swedish village.
1: My son's girlfriend, serious girlfriend, is from Kingsburg.
2: I would probably
1: know her name. You don't have to oh, mention it. we're there. not going to mention it now, but I'm going I'm to send you an email. So. If, he's
2: anywhere, if she's anywhere close to my age, then I will probably know her. How old are uh, you?
1: Yeah,
2: I'm 32. She I, is yeah. very
1: close to your age. Yeah. Did you go to the public so, high school? I did. Yeah. Oh, boy. I was a public oh school boy. kid all the way through. We're having, makes me we're having I mean, Central Valley <laughs> bingo here. Here we go. Yeah. This All is right.
2: something I don't get to do. I don't get to play the Dutch bingo in the CRC <laughs> cause I'm not Dutch. Uh, but Hey, here we go. Wow. <laughs> so All that's, right. that's the, that's my brief
1: story. Yeah. All right. And how about you, Mark? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Chicago area in the Christian Reformed church. Um, I, uh, I was on a, a different podcast recently and, um, you know, kind of mentioned that I'm, I'm as Christian Reformed as you could probably be, much like you kind of are, Paul, where um, all my grandparents went to Christian Reformed churches, all my great grandparents, um, some of whom lived in the Netherlands, were at the Christian Reformed equivalent there. And, and so um, my wife's family is all Christian Reformed as well. And, um, you know, some people would start to assume certain things about the church I grew up in, but I actually was raised in a church plant in the Christian Reformed church. And so there were about uh, 18 to 20 people in my church, um, when we joined it. And by the time I left for college, there were about 250 people in that church. And so, um, from being a child growing up in uh, what was, you know, we were in the shadow of Willow Creek. And so if people, um, not just in Chicago, but in evangelical churches during the nineties, um, really know Willow Creek was the, uh, the flag bearer for, um, for the new way of doing church in an outreach kind of way. Community church is, is probably a good term for it. And so although I was raised in the Christian Reformed Church, it was not um, first CRC of Dutchtown, USA, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so that, that definitely impacted my understanding of what church was like. I kind of expected that every church was growing, you know, and doubling almost in size every three or four years and um, really trying to reach out to the community and so forth. So that was my experience, and going to seminary at Calvin Theological Seminary helped me gain some of that regular institutional knowledge, Um, and now I've served churches in Sumas, Washington, which is a farm town of about 900 people in northwest Washington, um, near Linden, if there's people in the Christian Reformed Church who are watching or or listening, and now I've been here at Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church for just over seven years. So. Okay,
1: and tell me about this little podcast you guys got going. What? Why did you do this, and what? What's it
0: about? Yeah, we. Um, it really started during COVID, there during the pandemic, where we realized we need to do a midweek ministry to the church in a time where we can't be physically present together. And so, it really started as a church local ministry idea. We started recording some vlog type things. Um, Zach was preaching through Proverbs for the youth at the time, I, I think recording videos on that. So we would kind of just um, uh, brainstorm on what that could be. And we just started recording our conversations and that went to the youth and then it eventually went to the whole congregation and turned into, hey, we should just talk about these things and record a podcast and it's called Reformed PopMatics, And uh, it's, it's seen some modest success, I guess I would say. It's not a really big deal. But we have a really cool community of people who are listening from Ontario, quite a few people from Canada listening. Um, we have some listeners from Saudi Arabia, from the Philippines, from Australia. Um, not all that many from each of those places, but it's it's kind of a neat thing where uh, we thought this is making disciples of all nations. And, and so that was important. Um, for us to use technology to be able to do that a little bit. And the congregation has been really excited about it too, actually.
1: Do, do some of the people from Ammon Valley actually listen regularly?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, wonderful. Yeah. That's probably I would a guess about maybe, yeah, maybe 15 or 20 of our list of our weekly listeners are members of our church. Yeah. Okay. Cause nobody from my church listens to me. <laughs>
1: except maybe freddie and nancy if they want to see if i mention them so here it is (laughs) there you go freddie
2: i feel like freddie's my friend though he's never met
1: me because i will watch the the paul and freddie show Uh, but yeah it's the freddie and paul show freddie wanted to change the name at one point i wouldn't let him because we have got to give freddie top billing so (laughs) yeah 2020 was was an
2: interesting year sorry I, i was just adding to mark's synopsis it was just an interesting year, and it was a year where people really wanted to think through the issues that were taking over the yeah. the, the media, right? People yeah. were thinking about COVID. How should how should I think about it? What what are my pastors thinking about it? So that we did a few YouTube videos. Those got a few views, but mm-hmm. uh, we realized it'd be easier for people to listen to us on podcasts. I, I, Mark and I are both fans of podcasts. I listen to podcasts quite a bit. If I get home early and I have dishes to do before my wife gets home, I'm going to listen to a podcast. So there's different hours in the day that I'm filling in time. And so we figured that this medium would would serve our people well. And it has been, been a blessing, of course, outside of Ripon a little bit. Uh, and that's cool to see as well. I think our name actually is part of our success. Probably People are probably looking up Reformed Podcasts, and then it may just pop up. That yeah. was incidental. Good. Well we, wasn't played, playing. guys. That was Zach. Yes,
0: it. <laughs> <all's> it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was just a nod, obviously, to Herman Bobik. That was that was the idea. <laughs> no, it's well, it's a great
1: name.
0: Yeah, and one of the one of the cool things, I mean, there was so much happening in 2020. You have Black Lives Matter, uh COVID. Um, you know, people were were really asking a lot of questions and, and much like your channel seeks to do, Paul, where mm-hmm. pastors need to talk about these things and teach about these things. And, and we found there were so many things that don't really fit in a sermon yep. and would almost feel like you're reaching in a sermon outside yep. of the text to talk about Black Lives Matter or um, any sort of political thing that was happening. It was a wild time. And so we thought uh, it could be our responsibility as pastors to care for our people by um hopefully quieting the voices that are getting a lot of attention at the time, which were were quite extreme on one side or the other. We did an episode on vaccines, for example, and um, the the uh, Cliff's notes, I guess, of that episode was, we care less about the vaccine and more about what's happening in your heart, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, whether or not you get the vaccine is between you and your doctor at a certain point and so forth. And And so we wanted to say those things that we didn't really feel like were being said all that much in right wing media or left wing media. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Well,
1: CRC is sort of a middle of the road denomination in a lot of ways. <laughs> and um that's kind of kind of our space. So yeah. all right. Well, let's uh let's have at this thing. I don't know if you want to record an <laughs> introduction or um you've got some you've got some questions. Their their idea was to interview me. So that's why this isn't really a full blown <laughs> Randos conversation, yeah. but yeah, this is an interesting
2: conversation, just in the sense of, yeah, what are we even doing here on this podcast? Uh, it's cool that we're doing both ways. We're both going to be getting content out of it. And I hope that there is a sort of mutual benefit um, for both of our listenerships uh, in, in sort of seeing something that maybe we we don't normally see or hearing from a perspective we don't, don't normally see. I will say I'm a fan of your show, Paul. Uh I, I watch... Yeah. Not every episode, but I watch I I definitely follow Why, why along. not every episode? I don't have the time. I don't know how you have the Aren't time. Are there 24 Paul. That, hours in a day? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe for you, but there's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I definitely pick the ones that seem more uh, of of interest to me, but that is at least once a week I'm listening to a, to an episode. Oh wow, uh, thank you. Good for good for bike rides. Um so I'm happy to yep. be on your show but yeah i my my hope in having you was to be on our show so it's it's just i don't know i guess we'll figure this out as we go but we do have some questions for you uh questions that have percolated for me over the last year or so of listening more and more to your show um so i don't know if I, if you want me to start go for it yep. my my question for you paul is you know anybody who listens to your show knows how uh Long form, it is. It's. It's. You may sound may say nerdy. I think if I tried to listen to your show with my wife, she would be like, "Why are we listening to this? Not her cup of tea." Yep. Which is totally fine, obviously. It's not a show for everyone, and I'm sure you more than anyone know that know that that's the case. But what does the the moderate success? I mean, twenty something thousand subscribers. What does that say about the spiritual state of our culture today, that there are people who are turning to avenues like your show or the other uh, thinkers that you often will mention like Tom Hollander or Verveke or or others. Peterson, of course, would be a big one. Uh, Jonathan Peugeot, there's, there's all sorts of others. Jordan Cooper, the list goes on. What does the success of your show in your mind, communicate about the state of things right
1: now? I don't know if it if it says, well, first of all, that the world is big and the internet has reach. I, I think it says a lot about the state of the church because, you know, as, as you said, Mark, a few minutes ago, there's a lot to talk about and our tradition, and I'm not, um you know, those one of the interesting things were when I first started doing it, people were like, gosh, I wonder what his sermons are like. And then they'd go and listen to my sermons and they'd be like, well, they're, they're kind of regular. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, if I w- suddenly started doing what I do on my channel over there in the church, uh, that wouldn't fly because then they would be like, what is he talking about? And so audience is very different. Mm. I you know, when Jordan Peterson, and actually Mark and I talked, I mean, you and I talked fairly early on after I found Jordan Mm. Peterson, Mark, and we were having a meeting together or traveling somewhere together. And we talked about this. I remember that conversation and it was, to me, it was like, that was a revelation, not just Mm. the, I had never heard anything quite like what Jordan was doing before, but that thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people were interested in it, and that you could YouTube could be used that way was like, oh. And I had always been interested. I mean, I had run my blog for years before this with all sorts of whatever I was interested in and in writing things. It, it was just, it was just for me, a part of sharing what was on my mind. And that other people would care and talk back just to be able to use the internet to find really interesting conversation partners was was a revelation to me and so i i think it you know so estuary that whole project grew out of this partly because i realized that people want to talk and the field is very broad And so there's an appetite for it. And, you know, I don't, I don't, there's always comparison. I mean, my channel in terms of compared to Verveke or Peugeot is by all means, the smallest of the channels that hasn't grown anywhere near as fast that might grow faster than some channels. And so that's another strange thing about the internet is that, you know, when I got 2000 subscribers, I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta really think if I want to do this anymore. Because two thousand to me, I was thinking of two thousand people, mm-hmm. yeah. and so. But after <laughs> it's a that, a church, Paul. <laughs> yeah, but after that, I began to figure out that no, those numbers don't quite mean what I think they mean, and mm. over time, it's things sort of settled down, and so, I I don't know, I don't know. The whole thing is rather mysterious to me. But friends of mine who knew me before, when they'd hear that this was going on, and then they saw that it was doing, they were kind of like. Oh yeah, well, this is just kind of the kind of stuff you've always done. These are the kind of conversations mm-hmm. you would have with people in in the Sacramento cluster or outside of a classes meeting or something. So mm-hmm. it's just we're doing it online and finding new friends.
0: Yeah, and is, isn't it kind of exciting too? I, I think of how I'm excited about your success, Paul, and I, I enjoy your your channel a lot too. I know I know that. I recall talking about Jordan Peterson with you when we were in a, a proverbial trench together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing a lot of very serious uh, church yeah. work. and um, which is an interesting context in which to discover those things, right? Because I think a lot of people are sort of in that trench in a lot of ways. And what we've been told um, is people just want happy and they want uplifting and they want short. And, and so I think what your your channel has demonstrated is actually a lot of folks are looking for uh, longer and in-depth and philosophically engaging um, content that like Zach mentioned it isn't necessarily for every person now, some people need that that wide open door you know to go through and it's just for everyone a little bit more um, catch-all in terms of church and and how that's delivered but uh, I think that you, and I think particularly of Joe Rogan, the most popular podcaster in the world with his three hour episodes has shown that people are are hungry for um, not just a conversation because I think that could be a a miscalculation of what Rogan offers. It is often an interesting conversation, but often it's like, let's just work this out and let's try to be thoughtful about it. Let's let's, um, listen to an authority I think that that's actually a huge factor in his success and also in your success as well. You uh, you are an authority on theological matters and people are hungry for that, kind of as Peterson is, is an authority and has that, that presence that a lot of people are searching for.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that you're exactly right about, a lot of my preconceptions about YouTube were sort of set aside. One of mm. the things that I have realized though is that a lot of people are looking for, they're looking for someone who says what they sort of think, but says it better. Mm. And, and that that can be a dangerous thing because there are a lot of echo chambers. If you really want to close, grow a channel large, take a really hard line position on something, find that audience that shares that hard line position and just keep hammering. Or mm. you just hop from hard line position to hardline position. Um, And even it doesn't even mean that they're conservatives. I mean, progressives have do exactly the same thing. They just kind of do it in a different way. But there's a lot of um, you can you can you can get a big audience by being dogmatic about certain things. And and what I've, I've been surprised is that I'm I'm quite open about my thoughts and my convictions, but also, you know, my questions and I think that's that's something that at least the those who have gathered around this channel have appreciated, that what I really want, and I get this out of a pastoral context, what I'd really like is an honest conversation with someone. I, you're posturing, okay, we all have to posture in certain places. But if, and again, this really, to me, my channel comes out of experience as a pastor. What I'd really like is to hear what you really think. Yeah. And even if you think I'm all wet, let me hear what you think
2: you yeah. know yeah something yeah, absolutely I will... I... oh, go ahead Dad. <laughs> sorry i was just gonna i relate that a lot to my own context of some i'm an associate pastor i guess but uh one of the main things that i do is youth ministry so i'm working with young people and as, as we all know young people have big questions questions that they suppose that me as their pastor will be able to answer in about three sentences or less they just assume that I'm a machine. They can a- ask me a really profound question and just think that, oh, Zach's gonna pop out, he's gonna spit out the the vending machine answer, you know, You type in E6 and the E6, uh, the cheese its come out of the machine. And sometimes I can answer questions pretty quickly. I can just give them a sort of you know, quick, quick response, but sometimes their questions are really profound. And that can be, as we all know, we've all been there earth shattering for us. And so I think just thinking about my own experience in youth ministry growing up in my Baptist and then my sort of community church uh, world, uh, I didn't always have the sense that there were actually deep enough answers for me uh, and that I didn't have a sense that anybody could actually go deeply with me. And I think a lot of young people growing up in the broader evangelical world get that sense. They get the sense that I have all these deep questions and there's really no answers to these questions. Mm-hmm. And and so whenever kids ask me these things, I, I hope to say, let's have a long drawn out conversation. I would love to sit down with you to think about this with you. There's also some things that you could read and I try to give them resources that they at whatever stage of development they're at could understand. Uh, Often, though, the struggle with with kids is that they're asking bigger questions than their minds can find and handle answers for. But I encourage them, ask those big questions, but be ready for big answers, answers that will require you to put in the work, to really think. Because it's not just like everything has that short, quick answer that you can find. And that's one of the reasons I've come to then appreciate your channel and channels like it. It's because of the long-form technique I like that there's no there's no real edits in your videos. There's not any production. I always jokingly tell people, I listen to this guy who has slides on his videos with black slides and yellow font. I'm sorry, Paul, it's maybe the ugliest thing yeah, it could possibly be, but, but that's effective. what makes it so great. It's effective, <laughs> yeah. it gets the point across and it works. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that there's a craving for for not so yeah. much the quick answer, people are really wanting to get the deep answer and that's what really is helpful for us and as somebody who's now been through seminary I've seen so many of my big questions answered that when I bump into another big question I'm not so worried like I like I would have been in college when I hit those big questions those speed bumps it's like okay there's a big question I have I have big questions I'm just not worried that there is a thoughtful way of thinking that through. And even if I don't arrive at something that's totally compelling, that's okay. I'm okay to live in that tension. Uh, I know that there will be an answer one day. I'm okay with not knowing everything now. And I think that that's, that's sort of, you know, faith seeking understanding. That's what Anselm was kind of getting at, uh, I, I believe that there will be understanding, but that comes on the other side of faith. And so I trust that there's, that God has reasons. I trust that God is God. God knows what he's doing and that there are compelling reasons for things that I may not currently in my present moment understand. And so that's something I, I appreciate your channel for. It allows sort of, I was telling Mark this, I think your channel, one of the reasons I think it's successful is because it's. Sort of therapy for the intellect, therapy for the curious intellect who finds uh, religion in general interesting, but can't quite, doesn't sure, isn't quite sure what to do with it, Uh, doesn't want to totally give it up, but also doesn't really want to put their, you know, their whole life into it. And so they're stuck and maybe, I don't know if I don't want to be speaking ill of your audience because I'm a part of your audience, uh, but I think that that's what's helpful about your channel is that it allows people to think and it gives space to think. Uh, And I think that people appreciate the depth of the analysis that's happening along the way. And you're thinking through tensions in the church and outside of the church and the culture and whatever it may be. And so it's almost like, yeah, therapy for Somebody who's feeling their themselves in a state of what's come to be known as deconstruction, uh, and for that reason, I'm I'm very thankful for it. Yeah,
0: I uh, I think of that connection that you made, Paul. Of people listen to your watch your channel, listen to your sermons, and they think, well, this isn't similar. But uh, I would hope that one of the results of of your channel, Paul, is that people could see that there's so much underneath. What goes into a sermon, and so even if even if it sounds like a regular sermon, um, I believe that one of the the positive impacts of your channel could be refining people's palate to listen to a good sermon that somebody could tell because they've been listening to thoughtful Christian teaching, and and uh, that versus uh, kind of a shallow sermon, um, because I think that. That's always something that I'm hoping is is increasing in, in our own congregation is that people would start to have a hunger for good food and to ha- actually have a distaste for spiritual junk food and um, that takes a little while to to develop probably for people especially if they've been raised on junk food uh, to use the the food analogy again to start to really desire vegetables uh, and to even value that and 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 enjoy that I think that that's hopefully effective of your channel as well, that even if, if the sermon and the channel sound different, I think at the core, they are similar in, um, engagement of ideas, um, a, a value for real truth and, um, and, and, a desire to do the work of getting to the truth and communicating it well. Um, because, you know, I, I think of, uh, a situation where, um, I think it was a tweet that was put out by one of the Hillsong United, um, Uh, that maybe for those who don't aren't really in church culture that's a very popular worship band that sold a lot of albums and they had some leaders who left the christian faith and uh, one of those people who left the faith uh, put out a tweet like there's all this suffering in the world and christians never talk about it or there's all this there's all this stuff happening in the world there's evil in the world and there, there have to be answers to those questions and and we're not the church isn't addressing that and what he meant was my megachurch, which is very shallow and not thinking very hard about anything besides getting people in the seats, is not does not care about that and, and doesn't really have an emphasis on answering really big questions when you come to church, like the problem of evil. or um, And it's not always just apologetics, but there's sort of an undercurrent of theological engagement that just wasn't happening in that church context. And so, sadly, the result was a disillusionment of, about church in general. And so I, I think you're helping to address that hunger. I hope so. I hope so.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, again, a lot of my channel is me thinking out loud. It's me thinking out loud. It's having conversations with people who have their own questions and their own stories. And then I do early on, I started a, a, a regular on my channel, which I called rough draft for Sunday, because I want to. I've always tried to, as much as possible, integrate both my my church vocation and the channel. And so then I just thought, well, shoot, I got to prepare the sermon anyway. Um, why don't I just, you know, by by how it is Friday, let's give it a rip and see how it goes. And usually changes <laughs> between Friday and Sunday, but good enough. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's One an thing interesting I'm about
1: for people to
2: see how a pastor does his work. Yeah, Go ahead, Mark.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so um, for those maybe who who aren't as connected to the Christian Reformed Church, uh, it would be helpful for them to know. Paul is in Sacramento. We are in a town called Ripon, which is a farm town that is between the large towns of Stockton and Modesto. And um, our town has uh, a lot of Reformed influence, um, several Reformed churches. And um, I'm, I'm a little bit curious to hear if we might turn things in a Christian Reformed culture direction, Paul, how does Living Stones and how do other churches in the area perceive a, a town like Ripon, a church like the one we serve, you know, like sort of the, the legacy kind of congregations that have just kind of been around for a long time? Um, I'm, I'm a little bit curious to hear what, now that you've been serving in Sacramento, which is Kind of more of an island you might say for for so many years even though we're quite close and see each other a few times a year um, ministry wise it's 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 removed um, i'm curious to hear your about your take on interaction there between say urban suburban and the more um old-fashioned you could probably just say um <laughs> congregations well
1: you know a city like sacramento is so diverse hmm. You know, you might look at, let's say, Modesto CRC would be in a situation in some ways similar to Sacramento. Sacramento CRC was founded as sort of a a mission church, and very early on, it was a church that um, try. It was a racial reconciliation church in many ways, similar to the church I grew up in in Patterson. The you know the the churches in Ripon were much more a growth out of standard Christian Reformed church models of Dutch immigration, gathering together, building institutions like the Christian school. I think many people, the many people in Sacramento would probably they would see the Christian Reformed churches in Ripon just kind of like as well, these are some churches and they have sermons and they sing songs. And you know, after the worship wars of sort of the 90s in the CRC, the uh, you know your, yourself and emmanuel and and first rippin that just left the christian Reformed church i mean you'll sing some evangelical songs you'll sing some hymns i mean it's sort of become kind of suburban christian Reformed churches all over the place and mm-hmm. and they would be understood as something similar to what someone might find in another evangelical church here Sacramento. You know the 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 difficulty that a lot of churches are facing. I think in a place like California, especially in an urban place like Sacramento, is the the culture war has sort of continued to sort of thin things out, and assumptions about what Christianity is have changed even in the twenty five years I've been here. And, and but that 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 skews differently for all the different ethnic groups as well. So this church for a long time has served um, as had a significant African-American presence, but also Asian, Pacific Island, um, non-CRC white folks. So it's tremendously diverse. A place like Ripon, although you guys have changed a lot. When I got here in 97, population of Ripon was like four or 5,000. You're probably over 20,000 now. And yeah, that's
0: 17 or so yeah yeah that's
1: mm. that's bedroom community for the bay area continuing to expand out so i don't know that the contexts are so different i think part of what makes the churches different for you guys is you have in a sense a fully formed breeding stock of christian reformity in terms of your institutions <laughs> and and david snapper who's on crc voices did a study a number of years ago and in, in terms of Christian Reformed Church is sort of handling change. Critical mass is a big feature. And you guys certainly have much more of that than we have in Sacramento. We obviously did church planting, but even our church plants um, you know, hit certain segments. And so
0: it's
1: yeah. it's so broad and so complex.
0: Yeah, we just did a, a podcast episode on life in a rural church, and I mean, is Ripon still rural? I, I don't know. We have a freeway going right down the middle of of the town, and so it it, it definitely is agricultural. We mentioned in that that uh, podcast that half of the elders and deacons in our church are farmers, right? And so um, definitely is going to have that influence. And I get the sense quite often that when people would hear about a church in Ripon, California, a small town, our church is 40 plus years old, so it's not a hundred-year-old church, but has a lot of those same cultural elements to it, um, connection to the Christian school being really towards the top of that list, um, that people will, will start to think certain things about what we do uh, ministry-wise as a congregation, um, the kinds of people that would would come in through our doors. And um, part of the purpose of that episode we just recorded was to say there's actually an increasing diversity in our own church. And um, of course, there is isn't Ripon, too. And uh, I, I would always hope that, you know, even thinking of your listeners, that, OK, here are two guys from a church that's on their sixth pastor, you know, and uh, has been around for a long time, Christian Reformed Church they would have certain assumptions about things like um, individuality and 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 how, oh, it's probably just like a community that's in a suburb, suburban context, and people just do their own thing, and then they go their separate ways, but that's actually not the case at many rural churches where there is a hyper-connectedness yeah. among the membership of our congregation, um, yeah. again, especially through the Christian school, but even the families who are joining our church now are not sending their children to the Christian school uh, predominantly. And yeah. there's, a, there's a real desire to be close to one another, which kind of breaks the expectation that a church that looks like ours um, would just kind of be a maybe a white individualistic, consumeristic congregation. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's one thing that we've kind of been working out lately and just seeing, wow, there's a lot of beautiful community here. That's probably not what always people would expect when walking through our doors. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, and I've, you know, in in the years I've been here, I've had a, a ample opportunity to work with my colleagues and, and even in, you know, I've, I've visited your church and I've met with your council and, you know, it's, but in the Christian Reformed Church, I mean, my grandfather pastored churches that were predominantly made up of farmers. Um, that was sort of the staple in the Christian Reformed Church. The areas of the Netherlands that people came over and then settled. North Jersey, some of the urban areas were different, but even in North Jersey, there were a lot of dairy farmers. Mm. and uh, we just had our last farmer um passed away a few years ago. He was a rice farmer. um, mm. but you know, before I got here, there were dairymen, and um that was the pattern
0: yeah. so uh, maybe you want, you want to go with the next question, Zach? I feel like I've been talking a lot so
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. um something that I I don't know. There's a lot of things I've been thinking about in in preparation for this, Uh, but I'm curious to hear more of your general thoughts. You've done whole long videos recently uh, about the CRC, and I don't want this whole conversation to be just about the CRC, although I'm sure that there are lots of parallels with other denominations. I'm curious to hear what's going on in in other denominations around the world, Um, but what are your general thoughts on where the CRC is? Uh, If you you want to sort of put your uh, Nostradamus hat on a little bit and look forward, that's what Mark and I jokingly referred to it this last summer. As we finished up Synod and we're thinking about the future, uh, where are your thoughts about uh, where our denomination is heading? People who listen to your channel may know just from watching those videos, but I'm curious t- for our listenership to to hear from you I would say you're pretty much an authority on the CRC and the institutional history. And so it would be something I think beneficial for us to hear just from your perspective. And I will preface this one more time, with one more qualification, saying I think you're you've done a really good job of giving an objective overview of the lay of the land of the tensions in our in our denomination. And you have been maybe quiet on where you stand on this in some way. Uh, and that has helped you helped all sides actually sort of say yeah i agree with paul's lay of the land his perspective on where we're heading so i think that your perspective is valuable
1: i we we try to gain low resolution pictures of the future by virtue of the signals that we're taking in the the big conflicts in american culture have in some ways been the tension between urban and rural and of course suburban is sort of halfway in between the christian Reformed church had always had a mixture of urban and rural by virtue of the immigration patterns but the aspiration of many because of where, who, and where they left from in the Netherlands, they tended to aspire to be dairymen, and I think a bunch went to Ripon and discovered, oh, we can do these funny things with almonds or almonds, and you know we can make almond milk instead of cow's milk. Look at that! Um, <laughs> the Christian reform, but but at the same time, after the Second World War, so before the Second World War, there was a lot more there were lots of different immigrant churches around the U S and Canada. And many of those immigrant churches followed the patterns of those immigrant communities. And these, these immigrant communities brought over often sort of separatist churches, the same with the pilgrims. This pattern goes all the way back to the beginning of America. Um, All of these sort of disenfranchised, dislocated people out of Europe came to the United States, started their own institutions. And the Dutchmen did that too in the Christian reformed church. And then of Hmm. course, the, the second world war was a sort of vast mixing thing. And you had American urbanization really ramping up in the 20th century. And you had the baby boomers and the Christian reform church thrived during the baby boom and thrived. And for the Christian reform, like a place like Ripon, you guys have a thriving Christian school. That's really important for Christian Reformed churches. And so the Christian Reformed church developed all of these institutions. They, they connected out in the world. They also then got connected to the major, the major divisions going on in the American church, which were sort of the modernist fundamentalist divisions that became the main line, fundamental, fundamentalist evangelical, all of this stuff. And I think a lot of people in Christian Reformed. so I grew up in North Jersey, which was one of those more urban Christian Reformed church centers. Uh, Mark, you were from Chicago, another one of those centers. In the last 50 years, most of those centers have been in serious decline, Um, partly because, of course, Dutch immigration stopped after the most recent um, episode after the Second World War, and the Netherlands was a different place from which people would emigrate from. Actually, my neighbor here in Sacramento was a Dutch immigrant for a number of years, Mm -hmm. he would have never gone to my church. Mm -hmm. I mean, just he was much more new age. Um, you know, just going to a, going to a church like there were in the Netherlands, not going to do it.
0: Yeah. So, I told people the boat has stopped. Yes. <laughs> the, the boat and, ain't coming from the Netherlands. <laughs> but
1: but part of what the Christian Forum Church had when it still had sort of that thick Dutch cultural history was it had a circulatory system in the U S and Canada and so people would leave from california they would go to calvin college and then maybe after college they would meet someone they would find a wife and maybe move to new jersey and so you had this through much of the second half of the 20th century you had this very living circulatory system and churches like palo alto crc san jose crc um hayward walnut creek these churches in the san francisco bay area were bringing in calvin alumni they were getting jobs in the city they would plant a christian school this whole thing was happening really into the 80s and after the 80s that whole thing just started to break down mm-hmm. and i think uh aaron wren's neutral world framework positive neutral negative world framework is helpful because increasingly you sort of had part of the denomination increasingly sort of deconstructing with successive generations, especially in urban areas, and churches like in Sacramento, the Bay Area, New York, New Jersey, Chicago, these churches were declining. Whereas you had churches in rural areas that were in much more of a positive environment, just because of the culture war, they tended to do pretty pretty be, pretty well. I mean, churches, and if you would compare churches in Ripon versus churches in the Bay Area, Probably in the 1970s, they were probably about the same size, had the same money, developing Christian schools. Since the 70s, the churches in Ripon in this area would continue to grow. You had some URC, some conservative split-offs, but in the CRC, those conservative areas are doing well in the world-class cities in rapid decline. Now, the one exception to this is Grand Rapids, where... The circulatory system would tend to, people would tend to retire in Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids benefited from a fair amount of brain drain. A certain amount of people would leave the hinterlands and go and stay in Grand Rapids or retire in Grand Rapids. And so what you have in Grand Rapids is actually sort of another urban CRC center that hasn't experienced the decline of almost all the other centers. But that center also sort of had an establishment in the denomination. And so now with respect to the same-sex marriage issue, a lot of people in Grand Rapids just thought, well, the Christian Reformed Church is just going to sort of follow the cultural trends with respect to all of these things. And that's simply what we have to do. Whereas the churches in much of the rest of the country are following very different trends. And so you get this dislocation. And, And for that reason, I think in the next few years, we are going to see a split where usually churches split right and leak left There's been a lot of leaking left, especially in uh, CRCs and urban areas around the U.S. And I was just talking to a pastor in the Toronto region. He said, no, it's actually happening in Toronto as well. And so for that reason, there's going to be a separation in the CRC, and it's not going to be a conservative split off. It's basically going to be um, more progressive elements of the denomination, realizing that even though they have been the the establishment for the last 70 years, they no longer have the hearts and minds or lead the hearts and minds of the rest of the denomination. And so, but, but this isn't necessarily easy for the other parts of the denomination that sort of win the fight because all of those trends are still happening among us. And, you know, churches in Ripon still have to deal with, the broader cultural issues that are going through the country. So,
2: yeah, it's all in our front door now. Yes, <laughs> those cultural, those urban issues are now everyone's issues. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yep. That's so social it's, media. It's
1: a very complex thing going on right now, and a lot of people were wrong. A lot of people thought, well, the Christian from church is just going to continue to get. These terms are very inaccurate. More progressive on these issues, and it's about ten years ago I began looking at things. I thought, no, actually. There's a division and the groups that are getting progressive are going to be in a pretty clear minority. And it was this last synod that Zach and I went to where that revelatory moment happened. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people who felt themselves in the establishment thought they knew exactly what the trends lines were discovered. This isn't the church they thought it was.
0: Yeah, it was a sort of (laughs) shock.
1: (laughs) Yeah, remember, remember when they asked for we had the vote? And then when someone asked for it, well, what was the count? And they said it, and there was just kind of this hush over the Senate floor. Yeah. It's like, wow. I knew yeah. that the Human Sexuality Report, a conservative report, was going to win. I didn't know by how much. I, If I had thought about it longer, I probably could have guessed. Because in 2016, 14, 15% of CRC clergy were sort of leaning affirming. That is not enough to win. <laughs> 15 percent. yeah, yeah.
0: I, I was just reading um, about perception, right and, and there's that perception question of the institution and how it perceives of the broader denomination. And uh, I forget what the article was about that I was reading, but it was a professor in uh, in the 70s talking about Nixon and they said, the professor said, I, I think it it's impossible that he won this election because I don't know a single person who voted for Richard Nixon. And and so it, it, the 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 purpose he's saying that is to sort of cast some doubt on on the the system or the process or some or something, but actually in in saying that he's just revealing that he doesn't yeah. really know who's who's out there in America, so to speak. And yeah. uh, uh, maybe there maybe there could be a little bit of that in the Christian Reformed Church too.
1: Oh, there is a lot of that in the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. It has been for a while, <laughs> and it's just that the establishment
0: didn't know it, partly because- Where does because... that come from? <laughs> you well, know, like I mean, I, how, how does that start? Because like you mentioned, uh, I, I thought you gave a great history of the CRC and the, the CRC, maybe people don't realize, had almost a set liturgy until fairly recently, um, probably into the seventies and early eighties. There was, you could go to shoreline CRC in Seattle, And um, one in in Western Montana and New Jersey and Toronto, and basically get the same liturgy. You're going to hear the Ten Commandments. You're going to hear the Apostles' Creed regularly, and so forth. And do do you see that? And so from there, we have a a lot of all kinds of diversity at this point. Um, What changed along the way to create such a distinct distinction, I guess, um, between the progressives and conservatives like you said for lack of a better term
1: well i think you know a lot happened so i the church i grew up in was very much a racial reconciliation church as this one was too you know the civil rights movement did a lot to transform mm. america and i think what it really instilled in both sides was a strong sense of the myth of progress that now we all sort of know what's going to happen and i hear this among conservatives often now in a negative valence Oh the denom- the CRC is just going to keep getting more liberal that's why we should leave the denomination um and it's like that that that's been the mantra that both sides have sort of assumed and you know the civil rights movement exposed a great deal of very non-christian behavior with respect to racism that was in the north and the south and so for mm-hmm. a generation the church struggled with um, this church struggled with racism. And then, of course, questions of sexism. Now, that's a that's a much more the genders and the sexes, that's a much more con complex conversation in many ways. And the CRC, of course, fought over women in office for 20 years and and couldn't really resolve it in the traditional means. And so at the end, sort of exhausted, embraced a political solution that would get it off the synodical agenda so that the crc could do some other things and that was the local option and then as everyone conservatives and progressives would imagine well slowly but surely um more and more classes seated women elders more and then eventually a majority of classes seated women else that was at the first synod where women um women were seated. Um, Sue Kuyper, who both of you probably know from classes, she went with me to that synod. And of course, that was a there was a lot of consternation about that. And so when this other issue of human sexuality issues came up, everyone, including a conservative, said, well, this is just going to keep drifting left. But that assumes too many constants in the formula. And what was happening is that there's way more other things happening in the composition of the Christian Reformed Church, which meant that suddenly um, many, many young people, well, their voices aren't heard because they don't go to church and they're not becoming deacons and elders and going to synod to vote. And so, you know, just with sort of the general deconstruction going on in churches, well, the church is going to get more conservative. And we watched this play out and and similar with, in terms of race, um, the, you know, the, the, the Christian Reformed Church, partly because of the civil rights movement said, we need to focus on diversity and we're not going to so really identify as a Dutch church so more, had to do it because, yeah, the boats were stopping. But what they didn't recognize is that <coughs> Koreans who make up 10% of the Christian Reformed Church, Latinos, African-Americans... Other immigrant groups, generally speaking, fairly conservative on many of these issues. And so suddenly people who sort of got revved up to this myth of progress via the civil rights movement suddenly discover, wait a minute, I thought, I thought, and it's like, yeah, you did think, but um, it wasn't so simple.
0: Yeah, when I hear you, I think you just described it really well as it's an identity question, right? And so after the identity of the Christian Reformed Church being the Dutch church crumbled for better, I would say, um, it's good that we're no longer known as that. The question of now, what are we going to be is, is probably what caused quite a bit of, of separation. Some say we're going to be the plugged in, intellectually relevant, um, quite honestly, leaning more progressive. Uh, group, or that's going to be our denominational identity, and we're going to, uh, you know, I think of the January series as kind of the ultimate example of that, yep. um, that that Calvin University puts on, and, and that will sort of be where the Christian Reformed Church is, is heading, um, relevance, uh, intellectual admiration of the world in a lot of ways for us, whereas there would be a lot of churches just like our congregation that would say, let's move in a theological Direction and let's really hunker down on um, the Canons of Dort, the Catechism, the Belgic Confession, Reformed doctrines, um, and uh, and and so that's that's going to lead in different directions, I guess you might say. Um, yeah. Have a real appreciation and and a practical appreciation for Reformed theology proper, um, more so than just a uh, a, a desire to be um, maybe. <laughs> moving in a different direction theologically and in in, in sort of progressive ways. That's kind of how I've read it a little bit, but I could be off too. It seems to me like the two different streams of Kuiperianism.
2: Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. That's that's. I mean, if you're in the CRC long enough, you know that that's what's happening here. There's the two different intellectual streams, two different interpretations of Kuiper's legacy. Uh, that's a huge deal. At RTS. I remember hearing the name Kuiper fairly often from uh, one professor, John Frame, who is fairly well known in the PCA, uh, and he would talk about Kuiper. And the way my understanding of Kuiper through hearing from Kuiper or on hearing about Kuiper from him was that Kuiper was a very staunch, reformed, conservative theologian who had very strong opinions about the relationship of the church and the state. And if, if the world was more Kuiperian, the world would be more closely aligned with what general American conservative uh, ideals look like. Uh, and that was sort of what I assumed was true about Kuiper. Then coming into the CRC and doing a deep dive on d- different Kuiperians, uh, I've realized, oh man, there's like the whole like shadow Kuiper. There's the other Way of understanding <laughs> Kuiper's work and how, it, like what Mark just said, seeking to applaud and appreciate the outside world, the non-Christian world, and I'm no Kuiper scholar. I'm, I'm sure that there are ways in which that's, in some sense, fair or genuinely Kuiperian, but I hesitate to think that 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 Kuiper would just be applauding the world. Uh, totally these days and so that's just something i've noticed as somewhat of an outsider coming into the crc
1: um i don't know if that is
2: correct it's true. that's
1: my analysis oh no, the Kuipers, Kuipers, the the theologian of common grace also yeah. has a heavy emphasis on the antithesis
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: there it is Yeah, and and yeah. you're right and and so the broad assimilation that's been happening in the crc Certain churches have been sort of looking to the main line, you know, following the PCUSA, and you know they always sort of tracked with them. You've mm-hmm. got other churches that, especially in with the Young, Restless, and Reform movement, Tim Keller, um, mm-hmm. John Piper. Oh, wow! Look at what the Presbyterians are doing, and so it's a it's a very big difference. And of course, in terms of churches as institutions. And Lyle Shaler long ago pointed out that church countercultural churches grow better than churches with a lot of cultural alignment. Because why do you need the church out there talking about climate change and racism and gender equality and um, gay liberation and some of these things if the Democratic Party has real power and they're instantiating it into law? You know, you've, yeah, had they're saying it better. <laughs> yeah, you've had similar things with, you know, Republicans and conservatives too. But um, if actually living in a negative context in Aaron Wren's formula isn't bad necessarily for churches, institutions, and we've watched mainline churches, just an absolute free fall while evangelical churches, maybe not, you know, hockey sticking up, but at least doing far better than the mainline. And again, if you even just apply that to the Christian Reformed Church, the future looks conservative. It looks countercultural. Yeah, yeah, you made to, an interesting and, point.
0: Yeah, we no, keep was, cutting was, each sorry. other off. <laughs> sorry, man. Yeah. Go, Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to comment on Paul's point that one of the reasons this is a new idea to me i haven't heard you say that paul i think it's fascinating that you mentioned that one of the reasons perhaps that churches are becoming or our denomination is becoming more conservative is precisely because a lot of the young people who would not be conservative are leaving the church now that's an interesting observation for at least the reason because a lot of progressives their pitch will be look young people are leaving the church because the church is too legalistic pharisaical conservative you name it, and if only we could loosen up and become more mainline, they'd stick around. But it seems to me that they're sort of sawing off the branch that they're sitting on, and and saying that it's just it's just an interesting, I think, observation. I, I had never heard that, and so I think that's another little uh, quiver uh, in a sense, or another arrow in the quiver, just of of understanding this whole phenomenon. Uh, so thank you.
0: Yeah, well, it <laughs> helps uh, me think it through. I like Paul's point of the, uh, the common grace and the antithesis, and and I think if we're going to be fair, we would also probably need to—I I was uh, a little bit critical, I guess, in my description of the two different streams in the CRC, but I, I do maybe want to apply a little bit of criticism towards those of the more conservative type who would probably not really value common grace all that much. <laughs> and so there's definitely a lot of that also in the Christian Reformed Church at If I have to check myself sometimes, it's to say the Lord is working in mysterious ways with uh, drawing straight lines with crooked sticks constantly. And um, Calvin actually uh, uh, wrote quite a bit about how to, to value God's work in the world is to value the work that he's doing through unregenerate people, people who are not in church, who are not born again. And um, that doesn't mean, wow, that means they're actually good people and we should just sort of consider them a part of the church. He, he's saying that to say, and that's how amazing God is, that he could take somebody who is um, a sinner yeah. and and would shine light on psychology or shine light on sociology or economics or politics in, in such an amazing way. I think Kuiper calls us to value that as John Calvin does, but there's definitely that stream in the Christian Reformed Church that probably leans in a more Anabaptistic direction, um, that that draws up a hard line. A, a, to use another term, a two kingdom theology, where there's the kingdom of this world and it's going to hell. There's this kingdom of heaven that is uh, pure and sacred and perfect, almost uh, the church. It could be even conflated with at times. And I, I think the the reformed person is is able to uh, to value what God is doing in both kingdoms. Um, as the word describes what he's doing in both kingdoms as well. So I, I think that if we want to be fair, I guess I should be maybe a little bit critical of, of our camp, you might say. We are um, a theologically traditional congregation. Uh, both Zach and I are complementarian um, in, in our persuasion from how we read the scriptures. This coming Sunday, I'm preaching on First Timothy 2 because I'm preaching through that book of the Bible. And uh, you know, there's there's certain things that 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 passage says that we believe, and and God has communicated quite clearly there. But uh, I think maybe it is good for us to to at least look towards our side and say, we could be more reformed, probably in that sense of value and common grace.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the main aims of our podcast. Uh, it's not to be sub, like to be self serving in that we're trying to preach to the choir. It's we want to be really committed to principle and to making sure that that when there's times to punch to the right, we should punch to the right. Uh, I think that's a feature of Mark and I's preaching in general, but it's also true of our podcast, I hope. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, and so I want to open another can of worms, if you guys don't mind. (laughs) Kind of going back to our conversation from a little bit ago about uh, long-form formats of conversation and talking with people, and helping to sort of do a spiritual triage of sorts for people who are uh, hurting or who are wondering, who are seeking. Uh, I'm curious, Paul, to hear your thoughts about evangelism today. How how should evangelism look in the 21st century? uh, And how will that be different than what evangelism has looked like uh, you know, in the late 20th century? I, I get the feeling we're more and more moving away from things like Romans roads and where we're that's the four or five spiritual laws or whatever it may be. And it seems to me that your channel is evangelistic in the sense that you are speaking to people who are all over the map in terms of their spiritual location uh, and spectrum, their place on the spectrum. But it doesn't seem to me that your channel is bent on getting people to be members of churches. Uh, and that could be in some sense seen as uh, a criticism of your channel. It could also be seen as a strength of your channel. I'm sure you've thought about this. Uh, at what point in a long, maybe it's a months long conversation with a with someone who is struggling with their faith or with faith in general, how and when, ought, a Christian say you need to repent and believe, uh, or should we even not? Maybe we shouldn't say that sort of thing. I would, of course, think, well, Jesus says it, so that gives me permission to say it. Uh, but how do we do that, and how do we do that in a way that's not uh, clearly with an agenda? I mean, I guess it is an agenda. Well, I, I don't
1: have a problem with the agenda <laughs> because right. I, I'm fairly open on. I'd say I'm a Christian reform minister. Do I want right. you to, um, you know, my definition of, I want the question of the definition of Christianity comes up often. And my shorthand <laughs> yeah. definition that's as broad as possible is a Christian is someone who trusts Jesus more than they trust themselves. Um, And now I, I don't think that what I do is in any way out of step pastorally how I've seen my father, my colleagues, how they approach this. The Christian Reformed Church, I think by virtue of its its Calvinist doctrine, is less rationalistic than many traditions, many Arminian traditions that assume that following Jesus is a choice that I have to generate out of my own something— in order for Jesus to come near me. And I think God moves first. I think that's easy to see just in terms of chronology, because we're pretty short-lived creatures. God, God, I believe, was pursuing me before I was born, uh, through my grandfather, through my father, through all sorts of things that made me me. All of that formation is part of God's work. Part of what... Um, a lot of mid to late 20th century evangelistic techniques tended to be fairly rationalistic. It was sort of part of modernity. Here's the scope. Here are definitions. And you know now you're ready to go. Pastorally, what I have seen is more often people come to a place. It might be in a 12-step program. It might be in a prison. It might be in the ruins of a marriage. It might be Um, having having wrestled with things all their life and they come to a dead end and they realize that they are out of resources and they need someone to come and rescue them from themselves. And that doesn't often happen with the cameras rolling on YouTube. That much more (laughs) often happens in the context of a local church or of some other gathering where trust has been developed because so much of what people need to know in relationship, and this is what I try to model on my channel is um, you may be a Christian, you may not be a Christian, you may identify that. That's, you know, I think via Tom Holland's work on his book, Dominion, that's a really complex question because there's so much Christianity built in to even our progressive atheistic moral systems at work in America. We would never mm. have had sort of a gay liberation movement if it hadn't been for compassion for, um, for you know, minority positions, <laughs> yeah. which grows yeah. out of Christianity. But for people need to know that they are loved and they are loved to a certain degree. It's really tricky to language because in some ways you love your children because they're your children, but it's not exactly right to say you love them just as they are because actually you are loving them to becoming something more than what they are. Yeah, there's
2: a telos to love.
1: That's right. And and you want the best for them. And it could very well be that the person you're talking to is not embracing the best. And you'd like something better for them. But especially when you're working with adults, you know, they, they've mm-hmm. they've got agency, they've got decisions to make. Yeah. And let's not be manipulative or coercive, because generally speaking, you're 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 um betraying the love that you profess for their for their well-being so i think generally speaking as i have seen it practiced in in churches and and out of churches you know it's the old thing that pastors have said people don't care people don't care what you think until they know how much you care and so relationships come first and so that's part of the reason why My estuary idea is not an evangelistic ministry. In many ways, it's much more of a pastoral care ministry. And when I see people come to Christ, it's usually because God has been working in ways that I never knew and I couldn't see. And sometimes they sort of pop up out of the ground, out of no place, and they're ready to go. Other times, it's lots of walking with someone being honest, sharing. And um, along the way, people begin to recognize, you know what? These Christians, they're, they actually love people. And yeah. they love people because that's really what Christianity is about. <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? All the way up to and including your enemy. And... Mm-hmm. When Christians can live that out. Now, of course, the love thing, especially now in the, the whole same-sex marriage thing, are you loving the gay person by enabling this particular lifestyle? There's a big division in the Christian form church over that right now. And so I say, okay, fair enough. In enough time, we'll know a lot more. But you know, I'm still going to continue to try to love based on, it's always based on a perspective, based on what I think love looks like. And so that's that's what I want to forefront, and that's what I want Christians to be known for.
0: I wonder, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wonder you if go, that you your, <laughs> your YouTube ministry, Paul, is uh, kind of a harbinger of, of what is to come after in the negative world, you know, where what people are looking for, and I think they often find a new channel, is to be surprised that uh, there are different kinds of Christians than the ones that we reread about or that we see on the office or that um, we sort of build up in our mind. And and you're, you're the, the type of Christian who is intellectually robust and, and also cares about love, right? And so as, as we enter into a negative world where people assume certain things about Christianity, that it, it's almost like, a maybe some listeners wouldn't like this, but a darker world where a, a light shines brighter um, as the Apostle Paul talked about Christians as shining like stars in the darkness. Um, I think uh, I, I see that as a, a, a huge factor in how evangelism will probably change. And so it becomes uh, in the intellectual matters, but really people want to see that you actually love someone and, and will come alongside them. Uh, we heard a lot about that at Synod, of course, and the discussions on, on homosexuality and transgenderism and so forth. And you really had both sides saying we are about love and uh, probably meaning a little bit different things by what that would end up looking like. So um, I'm I'm kind of excited in a way that as Christianity um, finds new challenges to evangelize in the negative world, that there are those opportunities for people to be surprised. Um, And I think it's in that moment of surprise sometimes where the the light bulb really does come on like, oh, maybe what I had thought about the church or about Jesus or about the Bible, I have to rethink. Maybe that's part of what Jordan Peterson has accomplished too, is to surprise people with how cool the Bible is, how interesting it is, how powerful a story like Cain and Abel is. Um, and maybe pastors could do a better job at that too, of, of, of surprising people instead of just sort of getting stuck in the ruts of of yesteryear common evangelism techniques and so forth people maybe are kind of done with that but they're finding what they're looking for hopefully with with your with your channel well
1: i i think there's going to be i often talk about it sort of like gentle slope and steep slope um we're going to have to have forms of christianity and churches that are deeply countercultural and deeply weird because Mm. people see authenticity in that say these people these people are going to do it it doesn't matter how much you curse them they're going to do it christianity needs that but it yeah. also needs much more accessible communicators that can you know say and you know tom holland's an interesting mix of both of those because on one hand if you listen to him when he was during covid he was talking about he really respected churches that were sort of deeply countercultural and weird because at least you know they believe what they say because they're putting their life on the line but at the same time churches are going to have to be able to explain give an answer for what for the hope that lies within them in a way that people can hear and say oh yeah that answers so i don't think it's yeah. winsome or um clear i think oh. i think you need both and then there's plenty of church to go around to afford <laughs> both yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Well, what i what i think of um so I, I like that idea of surprising people, and uh, maybe I'll give a, a little snapshot, a, a preview of my sermon, and this coming Sunday. I'm like I said, I'm preaching First Timothy 2. and that starts off with respect for governing authorities. And so in my sermon, I'm going to say, "Do you all love Joe Biden? Do you love him and and Kamala Harris? And do your kids know that you love them? You know, it's like." Yeah, uh, that's kind of the surprise that I'm I'm looking for a little bit. And, and that's the call, right? So <laughs> yeah. we're Christians. And, right. and um we need to think about that based on what this passage says and pray for them and lift them up before God and and love them in that way. Yeah. Um and, and I think part of the reason I'm doing that is I think that I like the idea of surprising people and breaking those those categories, right? Which, again, yeah. which is a lot of what you do on your channel, I think, too, Paul, where um, Christians don't have to just fit in this box or that box, and we don't have to talk like Fox news people or CNN. Um, we can uh, hopefully pull more from scripture and from reform theology and the, the historic church, and that's surprising and refreshing to people, and um, to 20,000 subscribers for you. It's awesome.
1: Probably not to all of them. <laughs> hey, <laughs> good though. Yeah, I I think I, you know, I am the Christian Reformed Church faces enormous challenges. But in terms of Christ's church overall, um, you know, she's the Christianity has shown an enormous capacity to to deal with waves of enormous challenge through the centuries. Mm. And I believe we will continue to deal with this one. It'll be messy, it'll be hard. There'll be a lot of heartbreak. There'll be a lot of loss, but I mean, look at the crucifixion—messy, <laughs> hard, heartbreak, loss. It's all got it.
0: Amen. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Uh Man, it's a privilege yeah, to absolutely make it make our friendship more public and official. You know, in front <laughs> of all of the so, yeah. <laughs> We'll see you in a couple of weeks at that classes, right? Oh um, yeah, that's oh, yeah. Well, more than a couple of weeks. About six weeks, I guess. Okay. Yeah, sure. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you us, guys man. for
1: coming on my channel and at least giving a little window into, I know for a lot of people, what's the world beyond the the, the camera? <laughs> and um, well, these guys are a part of that.